Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. So it is the month of October, and that means that we are giving you something a little different. We're not doing true crime cases necessarily this month. Last, well, I guess it was two weeks ago now, we did the episode about... What was our episode about? Hotels. <laughs> oh, hotels. Uh, we did the episode about hotels that had some like true crime elements to it. This week, we are going a little bit different. We are doing haunted hospitals. And while that does have some of like the real life element that true crime does, there are various laws that prohibit you know patient information from being just put out there willy-nilly. HIPAA. So... Yes, HIPAA is one of them. So basically, we're not going to have a lot of like specific information about patients. But yeah, just as a heads up, in case you're like, this episode sucks. <laughs> it's not our fault. It's HIPAA. And like, I would totally say be gay, do crime, but I don't want to go to jail. So <laughs> well, off topic, I want to take it yes. to Eric Carrie Underwood Saturday. Yes, I went and you bought an entire bottle of wine for $40. <laughs> yeah, but I I did do that. But we didn't get to drink it there because it was a work event. So I only got to drink tragic like two sips cuz they put it in a container. Yeah. And we bought it before the yeah, concert. Don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, she was she was messaging me at the Carrie Underwood concert and she was having a fantastic time. So I was I thought she was going to sing her new songs, and I didn't know any of her new songs. And I don't know about you guys, but when I go to a concert, I don't like to not know the songs because I get concert anxiety. So she sang yeah. all her old songs, and I was like, this is beautiful. This is great. This The universe said, Brittany, <laughs> we're going to let you have this one. And I was like, thank you. Brittany, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> there was fire, and there was confetti, and there was fireworks, and there was water. And I was like, there's all the elements <laughs> she's she's the avatar that's that's what she is <laughs> so apologies for not getting an episode to you last week just like i don't know i guess we're I gonna sick. be real yeah she was sick i just was not feeling it so apologies but also we're human so sometimes that's gonna happen but you get to this that's week. why we yes you're getting two this week dropped at the same time so right after this one we're going to be recording one about haunted castles so if this one is not your flavor then just hop on over to that and listen to that instead yeah that's why we take breaks because we get burnt out very easily (laughs) so i guess with all that said and done we can just jump right in so i'm gonna let Britt start on this one and then We'll go back and forth, and then we're going to do some moralizing at the end. So stick around. (laughs) Britt, take it away. So this is the Danvers State Hospital. So Hawthorne Hill in Danvers, Massachusetts, harbors a beautiful Kirkbride building with its Gothic-style spires and red brick construction. The judge Mm -hmm. that presided over the Salem witch trials, John Hawthorne, once lived there a few hundred years ago. So it's built where the so much Charles were. So that's already that's adding to the rife. spooky. Yeah, I was about to say, that's just rife for like angry spirits. The facility that once housed Danvers State Hospital is now home to residential community featuring fully renovated apartments. However, I know you can Google and find the name of these apartments. I just feel like that's probably an invasion of their privacy if they choose to live there. So I'm not going to tell you the name, mm-hmm. but just know there's apartments. 
The idea was that the facility would be self-sustaining, meaning that everything it needed was going to be on site. The overall design is seen from the air. It looks like a bat in mid-flight. That's so cool. <laughs> That's really funny. Which is funny because like, they use it as like the, the inspo for Batman, the hospital in Batman. And I'm like... Ar- Arkham, Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Nice. The design supposedly helped draw breezes through the entire facility, but the Danvers State Hospital was originally called the State Lunatic Asylum at Danvers. That's not what you call it now, so don't say that. Yes. But it was part of the countrywide concept, at least in the 1800s, that people with psychological problems needed to be cured inside special... Especially made facilities, and while that may still kind of be true, you could still live with yeah. psychological problems outside. Yeah, the understanding of mental illness and just developmental disabilities or whatever, it was not great back then. So they, like, sometimes their heart was in the right place and wanting to help these people, but they went about it in a, in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. So... Construction at Danvers State Hospital started in 1874, and the the first patients moved in sometime in 1878. At its peak, the facility had 40 buildings and maxed out at 450 patients, so that's all they could take. The goal of the facility was to completely cure patients of their ills, because back then they thought that you could kill psychological, I mean, you could kill, you could cure psychological (laughs) problems. Danvers was six. I mean, I guess technically you're killing it, right? Yeah. Like. Just axing, cutting its head off. Danvers was a success at first, but by 1900, Danvers State Hospital employed 125 people and had treated more than 9,500 patients since its opening. Its good reputation proved to be Danvers undoing. Over the next 20 years, the population of the hospital swelled to more than 2,000 patients, despite its official capacity of 450. Okay. it's a lot of people. Administrators begged the state for more money to build more rooms and hire more staff, but obviously the state was like, no, we're not going to do that. Well, yeah, because they don't want to spend money on people they don't deem as people. Yeah. So patients would walk through the hallways naked. They lived in their own filth from lack of basic hygiene, and people just weren't getting cured. Their symptoms were getting worse. Shock therapy. And straitjackets became the norm, the thinking that jolts of electricity could alter a patient's brain or make the patient afraid of shock therapy and scare them into submission. That's why it was used. When they misbehaved, they were put in straitjackets and forgotten. When shock therapy failed, the lobotomy started. And if you don't know what a lobotomy is, it's a form of neurosurgical treatment for psychiatric disorder or neurological disorders that involve severing connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex. Do they still do lobotomies today? They do in certain places. They're not really supposed to, but... Are they still legal? They're not legal, are they? I mean, probably not in the United States, but like internationally, I imagine that's still a practice. Don't you have to be awake for a lobotomy? That's a great question. I do know that like usually for brain surgery, you have to be awake. Just because, like, they don't want to accidentally, you know, break something that they're not trying to touch. But I don't know if it's the same for, like, a lobotomy. Because, I mean, they don't really care what happens to the brain. Mm. (laughs) Probably not. At least not back then. Brain surgery? Now? They don't I mean, now. No. I would imagine now they do, but back then, they don't care. (laughs) Like, they would do. Yeah. Well, because that's like the 1800s was around the same time as like the Civil War and they didn't have anesthesia then either. So like people would have to get amputated like limbs and 
they just had no painkillers yeah, to help them. Yeah, because they didn't die from, like, gangrene. That's why a lot of people died. From gangrene, right? Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. cool. That's actually terrible. In 1939, the medical community was looking for a permanent fix to the crisis-facing mental health facilities. The population of the hospital swelled to 2360. A total of 278 people died at the hospital that year. Medical science saw lobotomies as a cure for anyone's sanity and to stop deaths. Neurology experts often called Denver State Hospital the, quote, birthplace of the prefrontal lobotomy, end quote. It's terrible. The moniker came from its widespread use, but also from the procedure's refinement at the hospital. Visitors to Denver State Hospital in the early 1940s reported lobotomy patients wandering aimlessly through the halls of the hospital. I don't know how you know they're a lobotomy patient. Usually it's because they, well, obviously because you're severing a portion, like the connection between the brain, like in the brain or whatever, they're going to act differently because like each portion of your brain controls different functions. Mm -hmm. The frontal cortex, I'm pretty sure like controls emotions and like that sort of thing. So So the patients didn't complain. Many of them just stared blankly at the wall, but they probably couldn't complain at that point. Because oh my nose, it's just so bad. Patients walked around in a drugged and hellish daze, but I don't think they were drugged because I don't think they had medicine back then. No one would. Okay, leave. I looked it up, and apparently lobotomies are still done in very rare cases to treat extreme, severe, debilitating, utterly unresponsive to medication treatment cases of epilepsy, hmm. and apparently also severe OCD. Hmm. So. Yeah. If you've had also, a lobotomy, apparently there is a know. chemical lobotomy. Yeah, because now I'm curious. Should we just do I a whole bonus episode things and I don't want to look it up. <laughs> maybe. Well, cuz I do know that who was it? I think it was one of the Kennedys or maybe the Roosevelts who their daughter got like they sent their daughter to get a lobotomy or something like that. Same as one of the Kennedys. Yeah, so we can definitely do the an Kennedy episode curse. about that and lobotomies. Yes. Okay. The lack of funding continued. Buildings fell into despair, which made conditions worse, and finally the state intervened. Portions of the Danvers State Hospital were shut down in 1969. Most of it closed in 1985 before permanent shutdown in 1992, after which the site became a popular destination for thrill-seeking kids looking for a good scare. In 2005, a development company bought... They run down property and tore down a large portion of the buildings. Construction faced delays in 2007 when a mysterious fire broke out and burned most of the new construction and some trailers down. Horror novelist H.P. Lovecraft, which, okay, fun fact, I got H.H. Holmes and H.P. Lovecraft confused for the longest time. How? Because I thought... Just because of the H? No, I thought H.P. Lovecraft was the world's first serial killer, and I'm like, wow... Mm. But so wow. when we did H.H. Holmes, I really <laughs> thought we were really getting into H.P. Lovecraft. I just want wow. everybody to know that. <laughs> Sorry, H.P. Lovecraft fans. <laughs> I think it's because of Supernatural. Oh. Cause I, was, I mean, I'm not going to say a whole, whole lot about that. That's the <laughs> only know time where I, I stand. <sighs> Side note. Supernatural is good. And then after the sixth season, it went downhill. Jensen Ackles and Misha Collins did phenomenal acting. Yes. All the way throughout. And then they killed Bobby, and I was very sad. And it's not a spoiler, because y'all should have already seen this. That's been out since 05. I was six when it came out. So y'all should have seen this. <laughs> Thank you. That's my yep. tangent. 
Horror novelist H.P. Lovecraft used Danvers as an inspiration for his Arkham Sanitarium. If the name Arkham sounds familiar, DC Comics latched onto the name and created Arkham Asylum as a backdrop for where Batman's ultra-psychotic villains came from. Brie knows this because her and her dad are horror, I mean, horror buffs, Batman buffs. Yeah. If you go to my personal profile on Instagram, you will see that my icon is a picture of me when I was like maybe five wearing a Batman mask. So in case you're ever wondering what that is, like it's so small, you can't really see it, but that's what that is. (laughs) The only remains of the horrific practices that went on in Denver State Hospital are gravestones in two nearby cemeteries, which contain 770 bodies. Some headstones only have numbers as opposed to names. Even in death, administrators at Denver State Hospital did not dignify their patients. But during the 1980s, reports began to filter out of the hospital about missing teenage patients. One account states that upward of 115 patients had disappeared within three months. This is all alleged. It was never proved. But that's a lot of patients. I know. The hospital never spoke about it publicly because their closure was imminent. But when staff was questioned about where the patients were going, the only answer was the patients had been assigned to a new doctor. Was it Dr. Death? <laughs> the missing patients of Danver- Danvers was never found, and it remains a mystery to this day of what happened to them. There were no bodies recovered, uh, and the staff of Danvers remained tight-lipped throughout their closure if they had known any details at all. From the involvements with the Salem witch trials to the horrors that occurred at Danvers, the land that the hospital is on is truly one of the most haunted Visitors to the property report screaming, banging, crying. The cemeteries are also hotbeds of paranormal activity in which apparitions are commonplace and disembodied voices are the only sound. Visitors often report seeing deep black shadows filtering around the property. Others see grayish mist moving slowly around following people who come to a site. I'm telling you right now, if I go to a, I go to a home place and a grayish mist is moving slowly around and following me, I'm going to be like... <sighs> Why I oughtna? <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> that is just an invitation to be possessed. I'm just like, don't try to fight a ghost. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't think they would appreciate it. Well, that sounds terrifying. I never plan on going. Pause, but your lag's not as bad. Well, that's because I'm not using my webcam. <laughs> oh, your lag's not like there is no lag. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. So clearly, the webcam is the issue here. My dad ordered me a new one, so we'll see if it has the same issue. (laughs) Okay, so for me, I was doing some research and I was going to do a couple of different options, but then I found this one, which is maybe about an hour away, hour and a half, in Stanton, Virginia, called the Dijonet Sanitarium. And Dijonet. Dijonet. He was a he was a character. I'm just going to say that, and I will go into it a little bit more as we talk about this place. So the Dijonet Sanitarium is about an hour outside of Charlottesville along, basically like along a major, I don't know what highway, but I know it's like, you can see it from the road. So it was founded in 1932 by Dr. Joseph Dijonet, the director of the nearby Western State Hospital, which was previously known as Western State Lunatic Asylum. So basically the Western State Hospital was seen as was like the state run hospital. And so this one was originally like primarily a private unit for middle income patients. So basically if you had the money, you could go over to this place. Basically 
The reason why I say this guy is a character is that he was a strong proponent for the practice of eugenics in order to preserve the quote-unquote integrity of society. And he was also a big proponent for the humane mental health treatment for people, which, yeah, because that makes sense. (laughs) So we'll go into the eugenics bit a little bit more. I just have a couple more bullet points before we get to that. But the sanitarium became state-run in 1975, and when that happened, it was turned into a children's hospital and was renamed the Dijonet Center for Human Development. Then in 1996, the center was relocated closer to the Western State Hospital grounds and that original building where the sanitarium was shuttered for good. And although there have been multiple plans to demolish the building and then like redevelop the site for different use, it has never actually gone through. And so it still stands empty up on top of that hill. So more on the eugenics bit. So we're going to get into some more history here because that fascinates me, but also because this is the history of the area that I live in. So I feel like it's important to know the history of the places that we live. So basically, if you don't know what eugenics is, it's the forced sterilization of like people, among other things. It's just like trying to rid the population of people who are deemed like defective or otherwise seen as not desirable. And if that sounds familiar, <laughs> there's a reason for it. But basically, people in this category included like people who were mentally ill, who had mental disabilities, epileptics, alcoholics, people who were considered promiscuous, like single mothers. And then like a large percentage of these people were poor immigrants, black or indigenous. So it disenfranchised a lot of people. Basically, what this guy was a big proponent for, he like lobbied for very heavily with the Virginia State Legislature. And he wanted to basically forcibly sterilize all of these people that he deemed defective because he didn't want their genes to be passed down into society. And he effectively got the Eugenical Sterilization Act of 1924 passed. And that was the model that was used by at least 12 other states to enact legislation that was the same. And ultimately, 32 states had forced sterilization laws during the 20th century. So I'm sure that's something not a lot of people know. We should force sterilize the pedophiles and perverts and the prison system. <laughs> like the rapists. Legally, they can't do that. Oh. I mean, I might agree, but like that's technically they're not allowed to do that because that would be, I think that falls under like the whole inhumane treatment thing. I feel like. And like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> they're garbage I feel like people, you know but they're where still, I'm going with that. They're still. I know exactly where you're going with it, but it's like, I get it. They're garbage people. But like legally, like they're still people. (laughs) So like all the legalities, they still they still have rights. Like they may be in prison. Hey, is this why they like when you're on death row, but then you like start dying and then you have to like do CPR? Don't they legally have to do that? Yeah. Like if they're about to. Because if they don't, then they can be sued. Which makes no sense to me because you're going to kill them anyways yeah well and that's also why there's like somebody who is on death row or in prison like develop on prison for like a life sentence if they develop cancer or something like that they're still allowed to get treatment for said cancer because like legally they have to provide that yeah but they're like there is this one case where he was like getting the injection 
where you die. But he started mm-hmm. dying before that, and then they had to, like, save him. And I was like, you're about to kill him. I'm confused. Literally. Yeah. Like, in two minutes. Well, I mean, they at least had to try make a show of, I guess, try doing that. But, yeah. I don't know. It's all legal stuff. Because if they don't, then they can get sued. We need to have and, defense yeah, diaries so guy that's on here. Yeah, he, he would be able to explain it a whole lot better than we could. Okay, so the reason why all of that sounds familiar is because American eugenics laws and racism was what inspired Hitler and the Nazi regime for their final solution and the law for protection against genetically defective offspring law that they passed in 1933. So, eugenics fun fact. means what? Let me get you the official definition of eugenics, but basically like ridding the human population of characteristics that you deem undesirable. So, for example, the Nazi regime primarily focused on what they called the Jewish race. And, like, it's an ethno-religion, but being Jewish, like, that, they made up that whole, like, it's a race thing. I was about to say, isn't it a religion? Anyway, it's an ethno-religion. So, like, you can be ethnically Jewish and not practice the religion, but then you can, it's also a religion. Interesting. You can be Jewish, but not be ethnically Jewish. So... Basically, the Nazis primarily focused on Jews, but they also went after gypsies, people of Romani descent, black people, gay people, like gypsies. basically anybody that they deemed. Yeah, well, that's Romani people. Oh, okay, my bad. So they went after people that didn't fit their vision of the Aryan race, which was essentially white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired people. Which, like Hitler, didn't really fit that definition either. But that's yeah, yeah, brown hair. I don't really understand why people didn't yeah. just dye their hair blonde to like try to like save themselves. I don't I know if bleaching was as big back then. I mean, obviously it happened, but yeah, that's the problem is that uh, it's <laughs> I could go on and on about World War II and I don't want to like go off of a, a rabbit trail right th- with this, but like they had ways of figuring out if you were like mm. Jewish, but also like. Even if you weren't, like, if they just didn't like you for some reason, like, if you opposed the government, you would be, like, locked away, you know? So it was it was just not a great time for anybody, really. So, mm-hmm. like, you guys can go and look into it more about the eugenics thing, but I have two quotes here that kind of shows how Dijonet was, like, praising what the Nazis were doing and then also how Hitler was talking about how the U.S., then those eugenics laws inspired him. So right. Hitler praised America Love that. as, quote, the one state. Yeah, I know. So he said, quote, the one state that has made progress toward a primarily racial conception of citizenship by excluding certain races from naturalization, unquote. I so, love when a sentence starts, Hitler praises America. I know, right? So that, it's just, it's really funny when people are like, oh, yeah, America's history is so great. We're the greatest country in the world. And then they ignore things like this, where it's like, we weren't always great. Like, it has been significantly worse than it is now. There are things where we can still improve. But, like, the fact that Hitler and the Nazi regime took inspiration from America, from our historic treatment of people that they deemed lesser than, (laughs) you know, like that white ideal... Like, they might want to make people re-examine their 
image of American history, maybe. I don't know. And then Dijonet commented about how Nazi Germany was, quote, beating us at our own game, unquote, when it came to the eugenics thing, because he was like, yeah, in six years, they, they effectively sterilized like 80,000 people and <laughs> we're significantly larger and we've only done like 27,000 people. We got to step it up. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, anyway, so... I mentioned earlier that this is the history of like the area that I live in because there's a big history of eugenics in this area. <laughs> it basically went on into the 1970s, even after public opinion on the subject went downhill significantly after World War II. And that gives me the ick. The state has since renamed that facility, like the children's facility, as the Commonwealth Center for Children and Adolescents to distance itself from Dijonet. They've also offered a public apology and offered reparation settlements to the victims. Oh, of, that's nice. Like the people who were actually patients there. So because it closed in 1995, I'm, I imagine that was a lot of people. But although the building is technically closed and can't be visited, it is still considered to be one of the most haunted places on Earth. Many say that they feel a strange pull towards the building, like they're being called to go inside by some sort of force. <laughs> Me. <What? laughs> Before it was boarded up for good, vis- <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me something I said. <laughs> I would say that just so I could go in there. I know you would. <laughs> yeah, because there was one blog that I pulled up while I was researching that was relatively recent, but the person, I guess, just goes and explores abandoned buildings. And like... They Love actually like went past the no trespassing sign and they were <laughs> they're like, I peeked inside and I was trying to decide if I wanted to go in. And then I did, but it was so dark. So I didn't go very far. And then I got creeped out and I left. <laughs> like, well, why yeah, you bring that's, a why flashlight? It's, that's why it's blocked off. <laughs> <laughs> that too. They also went at like six something in the morning, like seven in the morning. I like, would Nuh-uh. be more creeped out that. Like somebody's like squatting in there and it's gonna like, yeah, not that like squatters are bad, but like somebody they who get, could physically they get spooked. harm me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, because they could get spooked and then like attack you thinking that like you're there to hurt them or yeah. something, or like an animal because I'm sure there's like animals yeah. in there. You run Absolutely. into a deer family, they will hurt you. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, we have a deer family in our backyard. and I know. They were staring at me through the window at your house. <laughs> I know. And Marlo gets so pissed because there's this one, like, young buck who, like, goes right up alongside the edge of the fence and basically taunts her. And she'll be, like, there barking at him. And he'll, like, lunge at her. He'll kind of, like, <laughs> be like, what? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> so what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, I'd be so scared. If you go into a haunted, like, asylum like that, like an old asylum, and there's a deer family in there, or, like, a family of coyotes, or, like, a squirrel, Mm -hmm. a rabbit, raccoon. No thanks. thanks. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm scared of. Fuck them ghosts at that point. (laughs) Well, because technically ghosts aren't the ones that can touch you. It's, like, the poltergeists and the demons. So you don't really have to worry about ghosts. Well, I think ghosts can if they can draw up enough energy, but they have to have, like, enough Mm -hmm. energy. But apparently it it takes a lot of energy just for them to say, like, a word or for them to appear, like, in a little baby sphere. Yeah. I don't know the ghost physics, so. (laughs) So before the building was boarded up for good, visitors reported hearing the sounds of anguished screams. So some believe that Dr. DeJarnette himself haunts the place. 
one of the sources that I have listed in like the show notes was actually written by a former patient. He was there in 1994, so like about a year or two before it closed. He said that he believes that the place is haunted not by ghosts, quote, but by the memories, experiences, and emotions of nearly a century of the troubled and the sick, whether or not those individuals still live, unquote. Oh, that's a good quote. Yeah, I agree. And I don't, (laughs) there wasn't a whole lot of information about why it was the most haunted place or considered one of the most haunted places on earth, but it kept popping up on pretty much every list. So I was like, all right, well, let me look into it. So if you have more information about like, if there is actually any sort of paranormal activity there, please let me know because my sources were not helpful. (laughs) I know it's like very close and I could technically go up there myself, but I would rather die. So I would go with you. I really don't want to do that. Listen, if the cops come, I'd just be like, but, there was a force that was pulling me to there. You don't get it. <laughs> yes, because that's definitely that's definitely a good legal argument. <laughs> I just feel like I could probably... I say that, but I couldn't talk myself out of a speeding ticket. Mm-mm. I got pulled over, and it was right after I got shot. Well, not right after. It was a couple of months, and <laughs> I was going very fast, and... He pulled me over, and I just started crying. I was like, I just got shot a month ago. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Anyway. <laughs> yes, because that explains why you're speeding now. <laughs> it was in my boss's car, too. It was terrible. Because wow. I thought the speeding ticket was for the car, not for the person. So I was like, oh, my God. Brittany. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to get fired. <laughs> oh, it's no. not by the car. It is per person. I yeah. did have to pay that. In, ca- in case you didn't know. <laughs> I really thought that's how that worked. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to pass it back off to you so you can do your second one. And then I have one more. And then we're going to do a little discussion at the end. We'll try not to make it too long. But your turn. So this is a Waverly Hills sanatorium. So technically this I is heard not. heard of this one. Yeah, I was on Ghost Adventures. Yeah. I think the other, I think Danvers Hospital was actually in Ghost of Interest too. But this I was mean, a tuberculosis center. Hey. We'll be right back. Our sponsors are talking. We're super excited to share our newest collaboration with you all. Violet and Suds is a neurodivergent and LGBTQ-owned small business that started in October of 2012. They create all kinds of products with various themes from bath and soap products, candles, stickers and stationery, and jewelry and accessories. All products are carefully handcrafted and recipes are hypoallergenic, vegan, cruelty-free, and all-natural. 10% of their monthly profit is donated to the Tiny Paws Kitten Shelter, so you can look forward to your self-care routine and know your money is going to a good cause. You can use our exclusive code, WICKED20, to get a discount of 20% off your whole order. Again, that code is WICKED20. So head on over to violetandsuds.com and use that code at checkout. We'll see you there. So, Waverly Hills Sanatorium is a beautiful example of early 20th century Tudor Gothic revival-style architecture and a significant contributor to the Louisville, Kentucky community. During the building's existence, it's become known as one of the most, quote, haunted places on earth, end quote. The Waverly Hills Historical Society, a 501 nonprofit organization, was formed to save the building and promote the education of its history, 
treatment, architectural significance, and the impact it and tuberculosis had on the community. If you don't know what tuberculosis is, I have the definition for you. Learn me. It's a potentially serious infectious disease that mainly affects the lungs. The bacteria that causes tuberculosis spread from person to person through tiny droplets into the air via coughs and sneezes. Once rare in developed countries, tuberculosis infections began increasing in 1985, partly because of the emergence of HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. HIV weakens a person's immune system so it cannot fight the TB germs. In the United States, because of stronger control programs, tuberculosis began to decrease again in 1993, but it still remains a concern. Many tuberculosis strains resist the drugs most used to treat the disease. People with active tuberculosis must take many types of medication for months to get rid of the infection and prevent antibiotic resistance. Thank you, Mayo Clinic. Shout out to them. They're always coming. Anyways, that's what tuberculosis is called. But during the 1800s and the early 1900s, America was ravaged by the deadly disease. But instead of the Black Plague, it was called as the White Plague, White Death. Which, like, imagine that the doctor's like, oh, you have white death. I'd be like, stand. <laughs> it just killed me now. Literally. Because <laughs> it sounds like really painful. Like, the symptoms are like, if you have latent, L-A-T-E-N-T, latent. Latent. If you have a latent TB infection, the bacteria is inactive and it causes no sick symptoms. But if you have active TB, you're coughing for three or more weeks. You cough up blood and mucus. You have severe chest pain or pain with breathing and coughing. Unintentional weight loss. Maybe I should get TB. Uh, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, fatigue, fever, night sweats, chill, loss of appetite. And then it also affects your body, including the kidneys, spine, and brain. Once it occurs outside your lungs, you're pretty much going to die because it's already spread. But for example, tuberculosis of the spine might cause back pain. A tuberculosis of your kidney might cause blood in your urine. Mm. So in 1900, the Louisville, Kentucky had the highest tuberculosis death rate in America. I don't know why. They just did. I guess it was like really bad there. Yeah. I don't really know like where it came from. Because I know the Black Plague came from rats. Right. Yeah, it was something like that. It transferred to people. Yeah, because of the fleas. And then there was, I don't know if this is true, but I know like the Catholics killed all the cats because they thought they went to the devil. They were linked to the devil. And then the rats came. Of course, of course the Catholics thought that. At least the like ancient Catholics. Probably not now. (laughs) I would hope not. But it was built on a low swampland in the area was the perfect breeding ground for the disease in 1910. A hospital was constructed on Windswept Hill in southern Jefferson County that has been designed to combat the horrific disease. Tuberculosis continued to run rampant through the region and eventually with donations of money and land, a new hospital started in 1924. The new structure known as Waverly Hills opened two years later in 1926 and it was considered the most advanced tuberculosis sanatorium in the country. But even then, most of the patients died because there was just not, like, good treatment. Yeah. And the treatment for tuberculosis was sometimes bad as itself, but I really don't think they were trying to, like, mistreat these people. I think they the medical was just not advanced. Like, yeah. 
The patient's lungs were exposed to ultraviolet lights to try and stop the spread of bacteria. That was done in like, quote, sunrooms using artificial lights in place of sunlight or in roof or open porches. Since fresh air was also thought to be a really like a, the possible cure, patients were often placed in front of huge windows or on open porches no matter what season. And old photographs would show patients lounging in chairs taking in fresh air while literally covered in snow. Yikes. Balloons would be surgically implanted in the lungs and then filled with air to expand them. This often had disastrous results, and as did an operation where muscles and ribs were removed from the patient's chest to allow the lungs to expand further and let in more oxygen. This was seen as, quote, last resort, end quote, and most patients didn't survive this. I really don't think they did it, though, to, like, be assholes. I really think they were just trying to cure them. Yeah. And they just didn't, weren't super advanced. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I think a lot of medical treatment, like, we look back on some things and obviously it was bad, like eugenics. Like, that was just wrong regardless. It doesn't matter. It wasn't like a thing at the times. But, like, things like this, like, they're learning about this disease and trying to treat it in the process. Like, it's kind of like COVID. Yeah. There's so many people coming in from it and they're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's just like it just swept through very quickly and they're learning as they go. And it's trial and error. That's the scientific method. That's essentially what it is, is trial and error. And like eventually you find something that does work. But in the meantime, you're going to find a lot of things that don't work. While the patients who survived both the disease and the treatments left Waverly through the front doors, many others left through what is known as the body chute. This was an enclosed tunnel for the dead that led from the hospital to the railroad tracks at the bottom of the hill. Using a motorized rail and cable system, the bodies were lowered in secret to the waiting trains. But this was, it wasn't done to like be shady. I think it was done so it wouldn't scare like the remaining patients to see how many like corpses were leaving. And I think probably to prevent the spread to like mm-hmm. other people. Because if you're going underground, it's less likely to transfer like above ground. Because the doctors believe mental health was just as important as their physical health. So they don't want to they don't want to like the remaining patients to be like, oh my God, this is what's going to happen to me. They were like, oh, you're going to survive because they really tried. I'm not saying like Waverly Hills was like the best. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's, it's important to keep in mind that like not every treatment facility was doing stuff intentionally bad. Yeah. I'm sure there were some like bad people there, but that's everywhere. According to Dr. J. Frank Stewart, a former assistant medical director at the hospital, the highest number of deaths occurred at Waverly Hill in a single year was 152. By 1955, those those numbers had dropped to as low as 42 deaths and had been estimated based on death certificates that were filed. The approximately 6,000 people died there, dating all the way back to the original hospital records from 1911. So from 1911 to 1955, 6,000 people died. But it's important to keep in mind this was a disease that was spread via air droplets. So, yeah. I mean, that's not – yeah. like how many people died of the flu. Yeah. So, it's not like, like – I mean, that's a lot of people, Spanish but that's not like – Yeah. So in 1961, Waverly Hills was closed, but then reopened a year later as Woodhaven Geriatric Sanitarium. There had been many rumors and stories about a, about patient mistreatment and unusual experiments during the years that the building was used as an old age home, which was the geriatric sanitarium, not Waverly Hills. Because it 
they used electroshock therapy, which was highly effective in those days for while uh, a variety of ailments. Budget cuts in mm-hmm. the 1960s and the 70s led to both horrible conditions and patient mistreatment, and in 1982, the state closed the facility for good. In 1983, a developer purchased the property with plans to return it into a minimum security prison for the state of Kentucky. Plans were dropped after neighbors protested and a new idea to turn the former hospital into apartments was devised. A lack of financing caused the planning, this plan to be abandoned. And I can't really say I don't doubt the neighbors. I wouldn't want a minimum security prison built in my neighborhood. I just feel like that's just an odd place to put a minimum security prison. Put it somewhere where there's a lot of land. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it's probably going to bring the property values down. <laughs> well, it's not that... Because it's a prison, it's just that you need a lot of land so they can have rec time and, like, a parking lot for the guards. You can't just put it in a neighborhood. It's weird. Yeah, a little bit. In March 1996, Waverly Hills and the surrounding land were bought by Robert Alberhaski, who ran Christ the Redeemer Foundation Incorporated. He had plans to construct the world's tallest statue of Jesus on the Waverly site, along with an art and worship center. This statue, which was inspired by the famed Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, was to be situated on the roof of the hospital at a cost of about $4 million. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. (laughs) The next phase of his plan was to convert the sanatorium into a chapel, theater, and a gift shop for another $8 million. So for $12 million. So it was not a surprise when donations for the projects fell short and only raised three thousand dollars. <laughs> he wasn't even close. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. During the first year, only three three thousand dollars was raised towards the effort, and the project was canceled in December nineteen ninety seven. Literally, why do you need a statue of Jesus as big as the one in Rio de Janeiro? It makes sense for that one to be in Rio de Janeiro because it's sitting on like land, and it's huge. Yeah, it has the space. Yeah. Isn't it considered one of the seven wonders? I'm pretty sure, yeah. But I'm, yeah, the only reason to have something like that is like pride. (laughs) I can't think of any other reason. I just am like, you want to put it on top of a tuberculosis sanitarium? That's where you want to put that? Mm. Yeah. Okay. It just doesn't make much sense because like the only reason why you would want to do that is to have your name attached to it. That's the only reason I can think of wanting to do that. Well, clearly. Albert Husky abandoned the Waverly Hills property and then to recoup some of his costs, tried to have the property condemned so that buildings could be torn down and redeveloped. His plan was blocked by the county. According to rumor, demolition work was then done around the southern edge of the building to undermine the structural foundations and collect insurance money. This scheme also failed. In 2001, Waverly Hill was sold to Charla and Tina Mattingly, who are now the current owners of the property. And I think now... From what I could tell, you can actually buy tickets to, like, go in there and, like, because it's, like, a ghost tour thing or whatever. Mm, Yeah. It's currently, like, I think right now, it could be already resolved in court, but it's the Waverly Hills Historical Society and Charles and Tina were involved in, like, a lawsuit against each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's been resolved now, but I don't, I don't know 100%. I couldn't find that much information about it. Interesting. The hospital soon gained a reputation for being haunted and stories began to circulate of resident ghosts like a little girl who was seen running up and down the third floor solarium, a little boy who spotted with a leather ball, the hearse that appeared in the back of the building dropping off coffins, which I want to tell you out of all the ghosts, if I were to just 
see a ghost of a fucking hearse dropping off a coffin, I would shit myself. That's so scary I mean, to me. Yeah. Well, especially because of the amount of energy it would take to, to produce if that I image. If I saw that, yeah. I'd be like, all right, it's time to go. <laughs> time to go. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to head out. <laughs> That's SpongeBob meme. Yep. And then a woman with bleeding wrist who cried for help and then other ghosts. Oh, no. In the past, young boys were known to enjoy a game of catch, so it would come as to no surprise that one of the most popular ghosts recognized at Waverly Hills Sanatorium is a young boy named Timmy who enjoys playing catch with visitors of the building. It is said if you roll a ball down a long hallway, oftentimes Timmy will roll the ball back to you. I'm going to know now, Timmy. If you roll that fucking ball back to me, I'm going to slap the shit out of you. (laughs) (laughs) That was terrifying. (laughs) Ghost or not? He just wants to play. I don't care. I would probably run screaming, but I also wouldn't do that in the first place. So. I think they did that in Ghost Adventures, and I can't remember it because it was like one of the first, like one of, I think in the first season, and I can't remember if the ball rolled back or not. I'm pretty sure they also did that in BuzzFeed Unsolved. Did in they one go? Of the episodes. To Waverly Hills? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they did. I'd have to go back and read Because none of, like, the, I remember because. You know, like, so Ghost Adventures, if anybody, I don't know if you saw it or not, but half of the show is, like, talking about the history of the place they're at, and the other half is where they do, like, the haunting. The actual investigation. Yeah, the investigation. And I used to always watch, because I'm a big history buff, so I used to, like, watch it solely for the 30 minutes, and then the other 30 minutes, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's so scary. <laughs> but I remember they went to Waverly Hills specifically because they're standing at the big windows because they don't like there's no glass or anything. So like these patients would be mm-hmm. in this in these rooms like with these big ass fucking windows. And, it can, and I always thought, can you imagine how many fucking bugs you must have got on you in Kentucky <laughs> in the summer? Yeah, in June, mm-hmm. absolutely no, not. Thanks. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to go to a June you wedding. Just got real country right there. <laughs> You just got so country. It was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, I don't even want to go to a June wedding, much less I want to be there in Kentucky in June with no screens on the window. Mm -hmm. I don't blame you because, same, I don't want to exist in the summer at all. (laughs) Me neither. So Timmy will roll the ball back to you, which is a welcome change of pace for the haunted building. But unfortunately, not all the resident ghosts of Waverly Hills are quite so playful. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. If I was a ghost, let me tell you, I would be mad that I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> let me just tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're like, yes, I'm finally dead. I can just not exist anymore. And then you're like, I'm still fucking here. And I'm nobody can here. hear me. <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be so mad. I'd be making fun of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you could talk as much shit as you wanted. I would. I'd be like, you fucking dumbass. Anyways. <laughs> Another ghost that is often sighted at the location is a woman who once worked as a nurse back in the Waverly Hills was operating as a tuberculosis facility. The story goes that the nurse hung herself in the building and is now believed to still be roaming the hallways. Oh. The least frequently sighted specter is a mysterious man in a white that drifts through the corridors through late through late at night. No information regarding who the ghost was in life, but his present is often cited by individuals brave enough to keep to take a deep dive into the maze-like facility. He's probably a doctor, no, I guess, if he's in white. I mean, probably, but I also don't want to find out, so. I, mean, I imagine he was probably okay, but I don't know. You never probably know, not. 
You never know. Visitors told reporters of slamming doors, lights, and windows as if power was still running through the building, strange sounds and eerie footsteps in empty rooms. The man in the white coat is often seen walking in the kitchen and then the smell of cooking food that sometimes wafted through the room. Oh, he's probably a chef. Well, okay. In that case, I might want to befriend him. I don't know. We'll find you can eat ghost food? <laughs> no, but I can ask him questions. <laughs> like, what's your recipe for chicken noodle soup? <laughs> Perhaps the greatest and most controversial ghost is the legend of Waverly Hills has connected to the fifth floor of the building. This floor of the old hospital consisted of two nurses station, a pantry, a linen room, a medicine room, two medium-sized rooms on both sides of the nurses station. One of these rooms, room 502, is the subject of many rumors and legends and just about every curiosity seeker has broken into over the last couple of years. A nurse, The nurse that was found dead that I t- told you earlier, she hung herself in 1928, she committed suicide by hanging herself from the light fixture. She was 29 years old at the time of her death, unmarried and pregnant. Her depression over the situation led her to take her own life. It's unknown how long she may have been hanging in the room before her body was discovered, but this would not be the only tragedy to occur within the same with the connection to room 502. In 1932, Another nurse who worked in the same room jumped from the roof patio and plunged several stories to her death. No one seems to know why she would have done this, but many have speculated that she may have been pushed over the edge. There are no records to indicate this, but the rumors continue to persist, so that's alleged. People have seen shapes moving in the windows, have heard disembodied voices, and if the legends are to be believed, they've even jumped to their deaths. Imagine you see somebody, like a ghost, like re-jumping to their death. Uh, that would be terrifying. No, thank you. Not as terrifying as a hearse dropping off a coffin. I don't need that trauma. I've got enough of my own, thanks. The biggest misconception was that this was the floor used to house mentally ill tuberculosis patients. This was not the case. The patients here were not, at least during the time it was a tuberculosis facility, they were not insane nor were they confined to their rooms. They were free to move about just like patients on all other floors of the hospital. And that's Waverly Hills Sanitarium. This episode's been pretty long already, so I think I'm going to skip my second one just so that we can do a quick discussion on that thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap it up. Um, We were originally going to do this episode just on haunted asylums, and then we felt kind of weird about it. And I found a couple of articles that actually talked about some stuff that like, I started to realize that kind of verbalized it better for me about why I felt weird about it. And so I've linked those in the show notes. They're going to be at the top of our sources Basically, I just want to talk about how like the horror genre and like the paranormal genre treats mental illness and mentally ill or disabled people. They kind of demonize mental illness and people who experience these, you know, disorders and whatnot and turn them into like spooky, scary things that, you know, are bad. And it's weird to me because especially these days with people talking about like how mental illness is like we need to reduce the stigma around it. You still have people who like do ghost tours at, you know, like Waverly Hills Sanitarium, you know, things along those lines. And I don't know, it feels weird to me personally. And then also that kind of goes hand in hand with like the idea that some people associate anybody with like certain disorders as, you know, inherently violent. For example, people who have dissociative identities disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. And you can kind of 
I don't know, two of the specific movies that I pulled as examples are like the movie more recently called Split with James McAvoy as the main character, Kevin. He had 24 distinct personalities and one of them called The Beast, who was like a monstrous version of himself, had like superhuman strength and animalistic tendencies, and he would feed on his victims before killing them. What? Like a vampire? No, I don't know, like a lion or like just like a monster, basically, who would eat people. And I don't know, it was just I didn't see Split, but he was playing that same character in another movie. And like James McAvoy is a fantastic actor, but I don't know, just the idea of that did not sit well with me. So I never saw that first one. And I think it is because like, I don't know, DID has just such a bad connotation because the only pre- depictions we see of it in media are with people who are murderers, you know, or what what have you. Another popular movie is the Halloween franchise. Michael Myers is, es- is escaped from a sanatorium and he proceeds to become a murderer, like, over multiple movies. So it's just this and idea Jason. that the horror genre... Yeah. Well, he doesn't escape from a sanatorium. I think he's just disabled. Yeah. It's just these various movies in the genre specifically treat people who have mental illness or mental disabilities and even physical disabilities or deformities, you know, they just treat them as things to be afraid of. And I just want people to like, be aware of that going into it. And I don't know, maybe if we say something, things can change. I don't know, like, I enjoy a good horror movie as much as the next guy, but like, can we just stop with the, uh, oh, this guy has DID, so he has a personality that's a murderer type of movies, you know? It's tired. It's dumb. Also, stop setting things in asylums, maybe, because that's weird. Because that ends up with like them turning into these haunted house type attractions, and it takes away from the fact that these are places where real people like lived and died and like i don't know sometimes suffered because the treatment that they got at these places was not great so i don't know that's kind of like my pontificating explanation of what i wanted to talk about i don't know if brit has any opinions on that but i wanted to make sure i touched on that before we wrapped it up no the only thing i ever seen was ghost adventures yeah and so like i enjoy watching ghost shows yeah it's just one of those things where it's like just yeah just be careful of what you're consuming i guess or mindful of that. Be mindful of how it could hurt somebody. Just like if you make serial killer merch. Basically. I hate you and don't listen. Yes. You're not welcomed here. Yes. Or if you make documentaries about serial killers and then don't talk to the families of the victims. And they don't know about it until it happens. I'm looking at you, Netflix. So Wait, is that Dahmer? That Dahmer yeah. show is not a documentary, is it? It's yeah, it's a docu series, I guess. Is so it it's like, considered a docu series, though? Like, is it true? Or well, more like a docu drama? Because you know that blonde movie is not a biopic. No, I know. Yeah, that one's based off a book that has maybe some biographical stuff. But no, I'm talking about like the Dahmer series is basically like it's following the story, but it's a dramatized version of it. But also like they even dramatized victim impact statement that one of the victim's families like his sister made like recreated the whole thing and i just saw a lot of people on twitter talking about it and just like especially because netflix never reached out to them like that's shady i don't know so just like be mindful of the way you're consuming media 
like consciously consume it. Don't just like mindlessly. It's not just entertainment. There are real people behind these things. So anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. And that's all we have for you today. (laughs) So thanks for listening. We're going to jump off of this recording and we're going (laughs) to jump on over to the next one. And we will see you later, I guess, if you're going to listen to this back to back. You can find us on social media, Shockingly Wicked Podcast on pretty much everything except for TikTok, which is Shockingly Wicked. And our website is also shockinglywicked.com. Reach out to us about case suggestions at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, Twitter is Wicked Podcast One. I guess that's everything. Okay, have a good night. Bye.